Hey, everyone. Before we start today's episode, we wanted to take a moment and address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. This decision has stripped away the rights to have safe and legal abortions, and it's something that we are very passionate about. Yes, everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and for their family, and that includes when is the time to end a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety, and it could have very harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. We invite you to learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. And if you're able to support others, please consider donating to the abortion funds. And thanks to Ariel Nisenblatt, the founder of Earbuds Podcast Collective, for starting this movement of podcasters making this announcement at the top of their show. In a time where people are really looking for help and looking for unity and looking to know what to do, this is an amazing movement. We appreciate her initiative to start it in order to show how many of us there are and how important this decision is to us and the importance of coming together to unify over this very important topic. So we encourage you to speak up and take care to spread the word as well. Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Talk Witchcraft podcast. In this episode, Erica and I will be discussing the fourth astrological house. You're listening to Talk Witchcraft. On this podcast, we talk about witchcraft as a lifestyle and discover how to merge magic into your daily life. Every week, we'll demystify witchy topics like tarot, astrology, crystals, herbs, and more as you develop your personal brand of magic and create the life of your dreams. We're your your hosts, hosts, the Mystic Mystic Sisters, Sisters, Erica and Maggie. In this segment of the show, we usually choose a tarot card for the week and we look for the moments that relate to this card in our daily lives. But for this episode, we're choosing a rune. It's our first rune. The first rune in the Elder Futhark is Fehu. Fehu, which means cattle, is all about movable wealth. In the context of ancient Germanic people, owning cattle could have been the difference between a comfortable life and a life of deprivation. Cattle could be traded, sold, or butchered. No matter what, they offered a chance at survival. Now, in modern days, this can be translated to the liquid status of your finances. In other words, your cash flow. But it could also be interpreted as your general abundance and prosperity, such as with good health, plentiful food, and loving relationships. And since it is the first rune, it can also symbolize new beginnings. So Erica, do you have a story about any of these themes, mobile property, new beginnings, and or wealth? I have been reliving the past two years because I am on a health journey and I'm remembering the time when, and my transition from when I didn't have liquid cash you know, living to paycheck, paycheck to paycheck, having to, you know, play the game of like moving money to this account so that it's covered, but then moving it back as soon as I get paid so that this bill is covered. The stress of that, as I moved through this two-year period, coming to a place where all of my debts are paid off, 
I just got a pretty big raise at my job and I'm in a place where I don't have to worry about the $0 line in my bank account anymore. And so relaying it back to Fehu, I feel like all of my cattle are hanging out with me instead of being thrown around everywhere. That's a funny visual. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not like giving, hey, Joe, take this cattle to pay off my debt, but I'm going to need it back so I can pay off this debt. Yeah. I'm going to need to borrow it again and pay off this debt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We just got back from visiting Missoula and a little town just outside of Missoula called, called Superior for Mr. Maggie's grandfather's funeral. <laughs> Dana's grandfather's memorial service, I should say. I didn't know him very well. I was obviously there to support him and his family as best as I could and to be there. As I was there, you know, I heard all these stories about him. And as somebody that I didn't know, it was really nice to have that opportunity to get to know somebody even, you know, after death. It made me think a little bit about this cycle of life and death and how things begin uh, again and how sometimes that death can be an emergence of something new and that's kind of the new beginnings thing and it actually did spur both Dana and I to you know think about how short life is and what we can do now with our money with our with anything that we have with our property and just with our choices and where we put our energy all of that stuff that we feel we have in abundance, what we can do to make life the most meaningful. Because like I said, we have just a short time to be here. And so that's kind of what this rune is making me think of, that there is a cycle and we're at the beginning again. It's good to make choices about how to make the most of those beginning days, those beginning moments. So let's transition to our main topic for this week, which, as I said at the beginning, um, we're talking about the fourth astrological house. And before we get into that, we want to just share what the astrological houses are for those listeners that don't know. And just so that we're all on the same page, we like to do that. So Erica, can you tell us a little bit about the astrological houses? Yes. So just as there are 12 zodiac signs, there are also 12 astrological houses. And when you look at a horoscope or astrology map, you will see the wheel of the zodiac signs and a wheel of the astrological houses. Right. And if you look at those zodiac signs, as we've talked about in our zodiac episodes, they are fixed to specific dates each year. With the houses, they are fixed to a time of day and specifically the edge of the first house is placed on the horizon and then they kind of circle around so that the end of the 12th house they circle around the earth in the same wheel and the end of the 12th house meets up again with the beginning of the first house and so there's these two wheels around the earth so each of the 12 houses in astrology represent a different area of our lives and they set the stage for the actors or the planets to play the roles that were assigned by the zodiac signs So as I said before, we're beginning our study of the astrological houses on this podcast with the fourth fourth house. And the reason for that is because it is associated with cancer. And that's kind of our theme for these episodes we're talking about. We're in cancer season. We talked about the moon. Now we're talking about the fourth house. So let's talk about the fourth house. (laughs) 
when we look at the a natal chart, the fourth house is positioned at the bottom part of the chart. So it's your six o'clock time. If you're looking at a clock, it's your six o'clock. But it goes in reverse. Oh yeah, it does go in reverse. It's an it's an okay analogy, but it's just yeah. <laughs> it's a backwards clock. <laughs> We're going winter shins instead of clockwise. <laughs> I just like saying winter shins counterclockwise. <laughs> Because it's at the bottom of the chart, it means that it's the foundation of our lives. This house is all about our roots and where we came from. It's also about where we build our lives and it's the source of our strength. The fourth house is where we start from and it sets the tone for everything that comes after. Yeah. And so this house in astrology is about the home and the and family. So it's like your childhood, which is you know, where we come from, and also about how you relate to family and home as an adult. It represents where you're born, your family history, your traditions. And it's also about your what you keep private, the things that are, you know, behind closed doors at home, things that you might not share publicly, things that you want to keep secure, where you feel comfortable. The fourth house is where you can retreat from public life or the outside world. And if this all sounds familiar, like, um, you know, our episode about the moon or our introductory um, uh, episode about cancer, well, that's why the fourth house is ruled by the sign of cancer, which is the water sign. And it means that emotions play a big role in this house. It's all about feeling and intuition because cancer is a very nurturing and compassionate sign. This is reflected in the fourth house. We're all tying a nice big bow on the whole cancer package here. This house is all about taking care of others and creating a warm and supportive home life. So now that you understand what the fourth house is all about, We're going to talk about how the planets in the houses and how the zodiac signs in the houses can influence you on a personal level based on these positions in your natal chart, as well as how you can use this information from day to day when you make choices about the spells and rituals you're doing or just um, regular everyday mundane tasks that you do in your life. But before we do that, let's talk about our book recommendation for the week. Would you like to tell us about it? Yes, I would. So Maggie got me a book for Christmas. Was it a birthday? Yeah. Yeah. Or it doesn't matter. I think it was, but (laughs) (laughs) no, it was Christmas. Um, It was Christmas. It was Christmas. It was Christmas. Yeah. Maggie got me for Christmas last year, Yoga for Witches by Sarah Robinson. What I love about Yoga for Witches is that it uses different posture, yoga postures and positions to help enhance your spell work, your meditation, your whatever you're doing magic wise to use that movement and holding of those positions to relate back to the spell that you're doing specifically. She gives a lot of step-by-step instructions on how to do it and a lot of examples of kind of what her thought process is and what she's thinking. And it's just a very lovely book. I picked it out because I had seen this. I've read her other book, the, I think it's called Kitchen Witch or something like that. And so I saw she had this book and I knew that you wanted to be more into yoga. That was when you were talking about that and you're a witch. So I was like, this is perfect. I liked the idea of it because this is also something that 
I have done before. And so uh, she goes deeper into this book, but actually with runes, this is kind of the first way that I was incorporating movement and shapes into magic was by creating the shape of a rune with my body as a way to kind of embody it. Well, that's literally what that word means. So (laughs) (laughs) nice. Um, But yeah, this this book goes into it in a lot more detail. It's like a unique concept, I I think. It's not really, I mean, I know there's a lot of witches who do yoga, but I haven't seen a book exactly like this before. So that's our recommendation. Oh, one one thing to mention about it is that it is very um, femme focused. It uses a lot of woman language. She, her, you know, your body as a as like a female body. There are ways to adapt the language uh, to suit any and all bodies. If that's triggering or, you know, not something that is interesting to you, then you might want to skip this one. But if you can get past that language, then I think it can be valuable for anybody. Let's get back to our main topic. And as I said before, we will be talking about how the energy of the planets change based on the house that they're in, or really how the planets behave once they're on the stage of the fourth house. We'll go through each one individually, kind of talk a little bit about that. And then we'll talk about the zodiac signs as well. When the sun is in the fourth house, you can embody the idea of a happy home makes a happy life. The sun in the fourth house usually indicates a strong respect for your ancestry and your heritage. And those with this position in their natal chart may be happiest when reminiscing about their childhood. For all of these positions, you can look at your natal chart and where these planets are based on your natal chart. You can also pay attention to the position of the planets on any day and use that information for so when the sun is traveling through your fourth house you may be more inclined to think about your childhood you may be feeling nostalgic so with the moon if the moon is in your fourth house the home life is considered a sanctuary for most people with this positioning domestic disagreements are uncomfortable for everyone but they would be almost unbearable for people who have the moon in the fourth house and it's Also, usually somebody who is the most comfortable at home when it is a nurturing space and it is well cared for. The people who live there are also well cared for. Someone with Mercury in the fourth house may be more detached from the concept of home and even family. Home is just a thing that exists. It's just a place that you go to to sleep. Yeah, it's not necessarily like There's not like a deep rooted connection, like with the sun's position in the fourth house or the moon having this like emotional attachment. It's like, whatevs. Communication between family members is likely driven by logic rather than emotions. Depending on who you have in your family, if you have more logic driven people versus emotional people, there may be some tension and strife in there. And then with Venus, the home being very aesthetically pleasing and beautiful and clean and also comfortable. That's kind of how this manifests for when the when Venus is in the fourth house. Also, the choices that a person makes in this position are more likely to be motivated by what's best for the family and the home rather than what's best for the individual person, which it contrasted with Mars, which Erica will tell us about. 
Yeah. And so when Mars is in the fourth house, a person might be somewhat impatient with the details of home life and familiar relations. They're more likely to act in favor of themselves and self-service rather than what's best for the family unit. And then with Jupiter in the fourth house, the concept of family is expansive and having a big space and also potentially like a big yard that is your private sanctuary is more important and desirable. And so this is also kind of person who enjoys having family reunions for every single gathering. If you're, if you're going out, it's going to be, let's invite the aunts and the uncles and the cousins and the, all the extended relatives. Um, Just expanding the circle of family is important to this position. Saturn in the fourth house indicates a person who finds the idea of family and parenting to be very restrictive and burdensome. So they don't take the idea of home and family very seriously. It's just not an interest for them. Yeah, and this is actually my um, positioning. I have Saturn in my fourth house. And as a person who chooses to be child-free, this feels accurate. So we haven't really talked about these other generational planets in the past, but in the case of the houses, this is where these modern planets can be more individual because they move through the houses more quickly. So with Uranus, this planet in the fourth house is sort of like a detachment from family life and home life. Home and family might actually be found with friendships rather than you know, the family that you're born into or that you're, that friendships become much more of like a family unit and chosen family in that way. Also, the planet of Uranus is about revolution and things like that. So the idea of home and family might be more changeable and revolutionary and not necessarily like the nuclear family that you would normally think of about this word. A person who has Neptune in their fourth house might be made to feel exceptional in both positive and negative lights uh, by their family. So they can either be described as the scapegoat. So they're the one that everything goes wrong. They are Bruno in from Encanto, if you want to go with that metaphor. Maribel is also a scapegoat, both of them together. Or they could be on the flip side, the golden child, the one who can do no wrong. And this would be the Isabel character in Encanto. They stand out in their family for better or for worse. And then with Pluto, this is very destructive. So somebody with this positioning may have experience with death at an early age. And that could be literal death where somebody close to them in their family may pass away when they're young or figurative death, such as a divorce where a family is changed or broken in some way. And that causes a hardship for that child. And then that could also translate into adulthood, separation or breaking apart of a family. There also might be like a power struggle where a child in a family is not being a child is trying to be the parent and struggling with the parent in that way. This planet position in the fourth house skews what the idea of home is because home is broken. And so as an adult, they have a hard time believing in a good home, even when they have it. Yeah. Yeah. And and with all of these, you could come from a divorced family in your childhood And it doesn't have as big of an impact on you. But with Pluto in the fourth house, it might, like Erica said, be more of an impactful event where it changes the way that you view it. 
Now there's also something that happens where an, a house is empty. And this is what I think Erica has is an empty fourth house. Yes. Cause, and this is going to happen uh, because turns out there are nine planets and there are 12 houses. So even if you had a very well dispersed natal chart, you would not be able to have a planet in all 12 houses. So if you have an empty spot, it's okay. That house is still represented in your natal chart. It is still part of who you are. It doesn't have the extra boost from a planet. It's nothing to panic about or to be you know, concerned about, especially when we talk about the fourth house being so foundational, like Erica said, it's the base of the chart. So this one might feel like, oh no, (laughs) (laughs) my foundation is empty, (laughs) but it just means that it's not a major important thing, building a family, or it may be something that you want in life or that you do, but it might not be like the driving factor of how you make choices in your life. Right. And even though they're is not a planet in it, giving that importance, giving it that boost, you still have a zodiac sign associated to that house. And so we will talk about that right now. And you can determine which house is in which zodiac sign by looking at the beginning edge of the house, because sometimes they overlap into the next sign. So you might have a house that is in both Aries and Taurus, uh, technically like it expands across that area. But you look at the first edge of it, and that's how you determine which sign your house is in. And remember, it's the first edge going counterclockwise. So yeah, with this idea that the position of the house and the sign, it's how the house appears in your chart. The ruling planet of the sign, it's almost as if that planet is in that house. So with Aries, it'd be very similar to how we talked about Mars the ruling planet of Aries. And so again, this is somebody who is more self-serving in their choices about family rather than what's best for the family. Taurus is going to be very similar to Venus appearing in the house. Home is about aesthetic and looking pretty, going to home goods and buying all of the matching decor to make your house look beautiful and wonderful. Yeah. and, And also having the appearance of being a perfect family to the outside, even if that's not the case on the inside, but having that appearance of it. And then with Gemini is ruled by Mercury. So this is the sort of sort of detachment from the idea of family, the concept of family, and the way a family communicates might be more logical, or this person might communicate with their family in a more logical way. So for me, the fourth house is in Cancer. So I don't have the planet of the moon in my fourth house, but I can draw on those moon-like qualities for my feelings around the family. Emotional ties to family. Um, I get very uncomfortable when families are arguing, a very empathetic feeling, even now as an adult, when the family that I've created has an argument. I get very anxious and I, you know, twirl my clothes and I, I want the argument to be over as quickly as possible. Because disagreements, like we said with the men, it's uncomfortable for everybody, but for this position, it's, it's like disturbing. And then for when the fourth house is in Leo, this is like the sun 
the way the sun behaves in the fourth house. And so that's that idea of just a happy home makes for a happy life, uh, really deeply rooted in ancestry and a heritage. Leo is the prideful lion. So they take pride in that deep family tree. Virgo is going to be acting like Mercury. So very similar to Gemini. The differences between Gemini and Virgo as the zodiac signs would show up here as well. Gemini in the fourth house is going to be very, they're going to be very communicative, communicative, but deliberate in their communication. And Virgo is going to be approaching the family from a logical standpoint of, um, and, and like practical, like I do family because they help me pay bills or <laughs> I do family because it gives me comfort. Uh, but it, everything, the reason for the family has to have a logical reason to go. Yeah. Like it. having children because of the tax benefits rather than <laughs> right. <laughs> Similarly, Libra is ruled by Venus. So it's like with Taurus or with Venus, Taurus is, I would say more like the comfort and the aesthetic, whereas Libra would be more about that, like harmonious family. And that's kind of the focus is like everything in balance and perfectly pleasing in every way. Scorpio is ruled by Pluto. So it's going to have the Pluto fourth house qualities. Um, again, traumatic. Um, death is going to make a, a figurehead uh, again figuratively or literally lots of power struggles when we have the fourth house in Scorpio. And then Sagittarius is similar to what Jupiter shows up as in the fourth house with like expansive family and really being, there's not like a individual family. It's like the family is as big as you can make it. Everyone is included in the family. <laughs> it's like mobsters. <laughs> I bet all of, I bet the godfather has <laughs> Sagittarius or, Ju or Jupiter or the fourth house in Sagittarius or whatever you say. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Jupiter in the fourth house or the fourth house in Sagittarius. There you go. There you go. <laughs> if the, your fourth house is in Capricorn, you're going to take your cue from Saturn. So again, this being the idea of being a parent as restrictive and burdensome. You don't want to do it. You would rather not. You have other pragmatic things to do with your time. Which again is my positioning also. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Wait, so I have my fourth house in Cancer. Mm-hmm. And you have your fourth house in Capricorn, mm -hmm. which is ruled by Saturn. That's just funny to me. I know. I have, well, a lot of my things are lined up that way where it's like they go together. But Capricorn goes with the 10th house. So that's, mm -hmm. yeah, that's why. They're opposites. Which is, which is what, oh no, my 10th house is Aquarius. Yeah, because they're not a perfect circle. It's not a perfect circle. It looks like it starts the 10th house um, in Capricorn, but. It's not actually, it's Aquarius. Anyway, I digress. And I will talk about Aquarius. So Aquarius is going to be like Uranus. This is the, the Friendsgiving person, found families and being detached from your childhood family in favor of your found family and your friendships and your adult families mm -hmm. that you find. Yeah. And, and almost making it a revolutionary thing. Like it's, it's out of rebellion. <laughs> because that's what Aquarius is all about. It's the rebel. 
Mm-hmm, right. And then finally, Pisces is ruled by Neptune. So this is the Neptunian fourth house, which is the exceptional child uh, in one way or another, the one that's blamed for everything scapegoated or the one that is put up on a pedestal and can do no wrong. Yeah. So like we said before, if you don't have the planet boost, um, you can still draw from the energies of those planets based on where the wheels line up for your houses and your zodiac signs. So if it's empty, do not fear. You still have it represented. Just look at the zodiac sign. This episode is brought to you by Rainbow Obsidian. Its color is rainbow. And when you uh, shift it around, it has a flash in it. It's pretty cool looking. It's that black of the obsidian, but then there's these little like holographic colors in them. It's shiny and glass-like. It comes in all different shapes and sizes, and it can be tumbled. And it is found mostly in Mexico, but it it does occur worldwide. It is formed in molten lava that is cooled quickly and has no time to crystallize. There are many different kinds of obsidian, and the rainbow obsidian is one of the most gentle and most of is the one with one. (sighs) Too many talkings today. (laughs) But the rainbow obsidian has one of the more gentle, gentle energies of all of the obsidians. It is more protective though than some of the other ones. Because of the rainbow, it has a connection to spirituality and the personal energetic field of the auras and the chakras. It is one of those stones that doesn't really have any sort of limits on its power. It seems like it's just without boundaries that you can use it for infinite power. The main aspect of it, because of its dark color, the dark obsidian color is for that protection use and then like I said the rainbow aspect is what makes it more connected to your spiritual being yay rocks (laughs) next week we will be doing another rune draw like today and we will be moving on to the second rune of the elder futhark that is uru's uru's is a word that means aurochs which is a wild european ox and so this This rune is about strength and power and health and energy, all of the things that come from an animal like an ox. And so the difference between this and Fehu, which we talked about in this episode, is that this is the wild animal versus the domesticated animal. And so we'll get into all of those details next week and look at our life through the lens of this strong and energetic symbol. And if you have a story about Urus that you would like to share with us, send us a voicemail to we listen at talkwitchcraft.com. You can find out more about this episode by going to mumblesandthings.com slash blog slash 081. Join us next week when we talk about the goddess grouping of Diana, Artemis, and Scotty. So make sure that you are subscribed so that you are notified about each new episode and help other witches find this show by leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at the new Instagram account at Mumbles Academy for Witches. And if you have any other tips to add, tell us about it in the Talk Witchcraft Forum in the Mumbles Academy community. And don't forget to share this episode with your witchy friends and followers. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye.